Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. About 10 years ago, some of you were here back then, 10 years ago, we did a series with, uh, I guess, thousands of churches across the nation and the world doing something called uh, 40 Days in the Word. And that was something that uh, Rick Warren and Saddleback Church did, and a lot of churches joined that, and it was life-changing. Many of us were impacted very much through that series. And we're going to take this kind of an abbreviated, we're going to take some of that material, some other things, and we're going to just talk about the Bible and why it's such an amazing book and how life-changing it will be. Uh, and I understand, when we're talking about the Bible, that there are people in this room, people watching online, who have different varying understandings of the Bible. Um, some of you are the veterans. You've read through the scripture cover to cover 25 times, and you, you can quote verses left and right, and that's awesome. And then there are people who maybe are on the other end of that spectrum who are just brand new to this thing. You never really read the Bible. Maybe you have a Bible. Maybe you don't. Maybe it sits on a shelf or it sits on a coffee table covered with dust, but whatever. But maybe you've attempted to read the Bible and it hasn't made sense, whatever. This series is for everybody. And the reason I get so excited about this is because I think I need to shed a little light, a little backstory on myself and why I get excited about this kind of thing. Because my first, the first time I ever opened a Bible, I was 23 years old. I never opened before that. The first Exposure I had to the Bible when I was either 16 or 17, I was at high school, and I was coming out of my school, I was heading out to the, through the parking lot to my truck, and there were some guys there handing out Bibles. I didn't know what they were handing out. They were handing out something, and I saw they were handing out, looked like something free, so I wanted to figure out what it was. And I don't think they were allowed to be there doing that, but I think they were the Gideons. These are the same people that put the, the Bibles in the hotel rooms. Great organization. But they were out there, and they were handing out these Bibles, and the guy says, hey, take one of these. So I took it, um, and that was my first Bible. It really wasn't the full Bible. It's just the New Testament. It was a little pocket size. I can still picture it today, a little green vinyl-covered Bible. And I'm like, what should I do with this? And I remember taking it, and I got in my truck, and I opened the glove box, and I stuck it in the glove box and forgot about it until a couple of months later. I was cleaning out my truck, throwing some things away. And as I got to the glove box, I reached in to get ready to throw it away, and I go, wait a second. I mean, is this even legal? Can you throw away a Bible? I didn't even know. Could you throw this away? Am I going to get in trouble? Or, or, or maybe worse, it's going to be like bad luck, seven years bad luck if I throw this Bible away. I, was, I didn't know what to do with it. So I thought, well, maybe it'll have the opposite effect. Maybe it'll be, bring me good luck. I stuck it back in the glove box, closed it up, and um, I don't know what ever happened to it. I guess I eventually threw it away. But that was the first Bible. never opened it, but that was the first Bible I had. But when you fast forward another six or seven years now, at, at the age of 23 at this point, my wife and I fall in love. We want to get married, but we don't go to church. So we go to a church and ask if the pastor will do our wedding and can we use the church? And he said, well, if you, here's the deal. I will do it if you go through premarital counseling for six weeks and attend church while you're doing that. I said, okay. But week two, I heard the message of the gospel, that Jesus came and died for my sins. He wanted a relationship with me. He was willing to forgive me. And I'm like, I am all in. I want that. And I gave my life to Jesus. And my wife bought me my first Bible. And she wrote some really nice things in her and gave it to me. And it, it, 
I think I still have it. I, was, I wanted to, actually, I was hoping to bring it in and preach from that today, but I couldn't find it. I'm pretty sure it's not in my glove box, but I don't know exactly where it is. So anyways, I got this Bible, and I started to read it. I didn't know really how to begin. I thought, well, it's like any other book. You start at the beginning. Someone said, don't do that. Here's what you do. Go to the Gospel of Matthew. Read through the Gospel of Matthew. So I looked it up in the table of contents. Matthew, okay, started reading. Got to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I started reading, because up to this point, the Bible was just a mysterious book that I thought, man, this couldn't relate to my life. But then I start reading the Sermon on the Mount, and I am blown away. I am mesmerized. I keep... I'm like reading it, and I just got to stop every couple seconds, and I'm, I'm like shaking my wife, listen to this, and I would read the verse, can you believe that this is in this book, the book is, uh, how old, this book's thousand years old, and it's communicating to me, this is awesome, and I could not put it down, and eventually I came to some parts that I didn't understand, I'm like, uh-oh, how uh, many of you hit that spot, there's still a lot of those spots I, I read, and I go, what, so I hit one of those spots, and I go, what do I do now? So the church we were going to had a Christian school from kindergarten to eighth grade. And I went, they had a library, so I went in that library one day. And I'm looking through the books, and I see one that says, How to Understand the Bible. And I'm thinking, that's perfect. Now, it's written for like sixth, uh, second or third graders, but it was, it was perfect for me. I checked it out. I read it. Helped me so much. And then I started to read it over and over again. I just kept reading it. And I was just, I was, I was enamored in awe of God's word, the Bible. My hope, my prayer is, during this series, that whether you're a veteran to the Bible or you're a newbie, that it's gonna come alive and we'll be captivated by the word of God and we will, we will long and hunger for the Bible like never before, that it's just gonna be fresh for us again during this series. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why the Bible is so special. What's so special about the Bible? In other words, why would I even care about the Bible? Because I know a lot of people ask that question. What can a book that's thousands of years old teach me? What good could it possibly bring me? And I, I just want to start with what is so special about the Bible? What makes the Bible the best book of all time, the best holy book there is. What, what's so special? And I'll give you four things today as we, as we lay the groundwork for the series. Let me start by giving you the, the four things. The first thing that makes the Bible so special is a perfect book. It's a perfect book. Now, that's an audacious claim, right? This claims that something is perfect. And yet, I think the, we call the Bible the Holy Bible. That's appropriate because the word holy would, would kind of let us know that it, it's perfect. It's, it's, it's just an amazing book. And it's even more amazing when you understand the history of the Bible, how we got it, and how relevant it is, and how it all is so cohesive in spite of all of the variety of people that, that, that gave us parts of the Bible, which I'm going to share in just a second. But it's, it's just absolutely amazing. You know God's hand had to be in it because otherwise it would have never worked out. Have you ever heard of the thing, I think they call it the telephone game? The telephone game, is, I think, is what it's called. I may be totally making this up. But anyways, it's, it's, a, it's a game where if I came over and I whispered to someone on the front row over here, and I made a statement in their ear, and I said this, and they went to the next person, they whispered the same thing in their ear, and eventually went to everybody throughout this room. 
chances of, of what I said to the first person and what it ended up are, are like zero, right? Because something would have got lost in the interpretation. Something would have been added. Something would have been left off. Something misunderstood. Someone adding their own little spin on it. And it would eventually be different than the way it started. But when you think about the Bible and recognize that God had to be involved in this thing for it to come out this way, let me give you an example of what I mean. The Bible is actually, many of you know this, is one book that's made up of 66 individual books all put in the Bible. It was written over a period of 1,600 years with over, on over a, in over a dozen countries on three different continents. It's in at, least three, in at least three different languages. It had 40 authors, and the authors were people from all walks of life. Some of them were farmers, some were kings, soldiers, shepherds, princes, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, and even a doctor. It was written in caves, ships, palaces, prisons, and, and deserts with one common theme, God's plan for redemption for mankind, the star of the story in all 66 books, every single one of them is Jesus. He's the star, and yet there are no contradictions, no errors, no discrepancies. How does that even work? Let me tell you why. Because God is the ultimate author, and it's a perfect book. According to Scripture, 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God, and is, in useful, and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. All scripture is inspired by God. Another translation said it's God breathed. Think about that. These 40 plus authors are, are, are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit working in them. That, that God breathed the words that he wanted to speak to them and through them. And I want you to get the picture of a sailboat. A sailboat without wind, just sits still, right? But when the wind blows, it moves the boat. That's exactly how these authors were. As they sat down in those different continents, in, in different places, with, in, in different languages, different walks of life, under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit, only writing and only uh, putting down God's words when the, the wind of the, of the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It wasn't a bunch of just good old boys sitting around a campfire saying, what do you want to write? I don't know, what do you think we should write? It was inspired by God. God breathed. It says in 2 Peter, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is important. This is the understanding that where this Bible comes from and who gave it to us. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Reviving the soul, the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Bible, it's perfect. And I know a lot of people will argue that the Bible, well, was written by men and it's been changed in the translations and this and that, and there's contradictions. I always say, oh, there are contradictions in the Bible. Well, there's so many contradictions. I usually go, well, here's my Bible. Can you show me one? Because I can't find any. Uh, 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 they can't find them. They just heard somebody say that and it's, it's stuck with them. It's just, it's amazing when you hear people, and I know there are skeptics. There are, there are, there are critics of the Bible. 
They're haters of the Bible. And we've all heard them giving their input about how the Bible is just, just men coming up with these ideas and they're just fairy tales that have been passed down, folklore, if you will. And they can't understand it because it, it doesn't make sense on a human level. They say, how can it? Explain to me how a, you know, how a snake can speak, how a fish can swallow a man, how, how, how a burning bush can speak, how dead men can raise back to life again. Explain it to me. Well, I can't explain it other than say that God is the ultimate author, so I believe it, and that's why it's a perfect book. It's special because it's a perfect book, but also special, number two, because the Bible is a preserved book. It has stood the test of time. The Bible's the most read book in the world. It's the most translated book in the world. It's the best-selling book of all time in the world. There's never been a book that's been under the microscope more than the Bible. There's never been a book where more people have, have tried to disprove the Bible than the Bible. There's been more attacks, there's, been, there's more scrutiny of the Bible, and yet no one can disprove it. They all have their opinions, but they can't, at the end of the day, disprove it. In fact, many of the people that set out to disprove it end up becoming followers of Jesus because they realize how true it really is. I'll give you an example of a guy by the name of Lee Strobel. Some of you know that name if you've read the book, The Case for Christianity, and many others. He was a journalist, worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he was going to do a story disproving Christianity. And, his, and along came his research. He started doing more and more research. He actually realized that in his research that there was more to prove that, that the Bible was accurate, that Jesus was who he said he was, than there was not. And he became a follower of Jesus. It has impacted millions of people. The Bible is a preserved book. God has been able to give it to us in just the way that he wanted to. It's, it stood the test of time. In fact, if you think about it, we're living in a day and age where there's been a lot of, since the time of the Bible, the Bible's written a couple thousand years ago, and since that time, there's been a lot of, we know more than we used to, right? There's more history that we understand now. We have, you know, we have more archaeological stuff. We have more scientific proof of things. And yet, those things didn't, disprove the Bible, they actually show that the Bible is accurate. Every time there's a new scientific discovery, it's like, oh yeah, the Bible said that. Wow, what do you know? That's the beauty of it. See, it's preserved because God gave it to us the way he wants to. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Never will they disappear. First Peter says this, the grass withers and the flowers fade flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Over and over again, science has proven that the Bible is accurate. The Dead Sea Scrolls, some of you know that. I, I, would, I would encourage you to do a little background study on that. I don't have time to go into it, but the Dead Sea Scrolls is an interesting part that revealed the accuracy of the Bible and how God had preserved it. Because up until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s, the, the most current Scripture that they had was about a thousand years after Jesus had died. Okay, that was like that was like the most current, and it was writings of the Old Testament. So people thought, well, that can't be very accurate. I mean, think how many times it's been changed and translated over those thousand years, and and you're saying that that's the same. Well, in the 1940s, they find in these caves in the Middle East, 
they find these scrolls. They call them the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what they are are writings that were 100 years before Jesus came of the Old Testament. They compared it to the ones that they found that they had after. And what they found is this amazing accuracy because God had preserved it. In fact, a 95% accuracy. Every Old Testament book except Esther was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, parts of it. You might say, well, that's only 95% accuracy. What do you count for the other 5%? The other 5% was like a misspelled name. If you've ever read those Old Testament names, that would be real easy to do. But nothing that would change the context or the content of what the scripture was telling us. God has preserved his word in just the way that he wants us to have it. It is a preserved book. It's special because it's preserved. But number three, the Bible's special because it's a practical book. That may surprise many of you to realize that the Bible is actually practical. We're going to spend a lot more time on this next week. But when you start realizing that this book has all the answers to life in it, that it's so practical, it was never meant to just be a, you know, some sort of paperweight on a desk somewhere or on a shelf somewhere. It was always meant to be put in our lives. It's practical. I think the problem for a lot of us is that we live in a day and age where there's a a lot of biblical illiteracy. And it gets worse every year because they do these studies every year. and we're, we're drifting further and farther away from God and from his word. And people, what used to people used to say, I believe God's word. Now more people seem like they're skeptical than ever before. And it's because they, they, don't, really, they don't really understand the Bible. And, and because they never really looked into it. They've never done a, an honest look into the Bible. But it's practical. I think that even amongst Christians, we have an illiteracy problem. I think more Christians could give me the names of the four Beatles than they could give me the name of the four Gospels. I just think, I just think we, we're, not, we're not hungry for this anymore. In 1995, so this is a long time ago, a long time ago, and I think it's worse now, but in 1995, the National Review magazine just did some polling and they wanted to find out well, how America, what the Americans thought or understood about the Bible. And it's scary when you hear this, but these are some of the responses that people had about the Bible. Listen to how, how messed up this is. Someone said, Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. Another person said, Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Someone said, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. The people who followed the Lord were called the 12 decibels. The epistles were the wives of the apostles. Someone said, St. Paul cavorted to Christianity. He preached holy acrimony, which is another name for marriage. A Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. Someone said, the Egyptians were all drowned in the desert. Afterward, Moses went on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. Another said the first commandment was when Eve told Adam to eat the apple. Someone said the fifth commandment is to humor thy father and mother. Another said the seventh commandment is thou shall not admit adultery. I'm just shaking my head. Some of you are going, is there a problem with that? I thought that was in the scripture. No, that's a problem with it. There is, that's not correct. None of those were correct, okay? But when you start looking at the Bible 
for what it really is and understanding how, how practical it is, it, it, it will really begin to change your life. You'll have a new appreciation for it. And you'll want to read it. You'll desire it because you'll look for answers knowing that God has his truth for you. It's, it's a practical book. If you were at home one evening and you couldn't sleep and you're doing a little channel surfing and you hit one of those infomercials that we all hate and it's this infomercial about somebody trying to sell you a book and the book boasts that it, that it can teach you the secrets of this, uh, to have success in life, how to improve your relationships, how to excel in business, how to select a spouse, how to have an amazing marriage, how to have a great sex life, how to raise your children, how to overcome stress, anxiety, and worry, and how to have all your sins removed and to live forever in heaven, you would be on it like a hobo on a ham sandwich, right? Like you couldn't dial 800 fast, 1-800 fast enough because you're, I gotta get a copy of that book, whatever that book is. Let me tell you something. The Bible has that and so much more. It's a practical book. Anything you need to know about in life, you can find in the Bible. It may not directly answer your question, but it'll give you some truths to follow. 2 Timothy 3.16, again, I'm gonna read it and add verse 17 to it. Listen, it says, all scripture, Again, that's every bit of it, not some, not most, not 99.9%, but all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and is useful, right? It's practical to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It, there's a reason for it. Second Corinthians says this, we just, we just sang this. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. All his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Do you know the Bible has over 3,000 promises for us to live out? And they're yes and amen in Jesus, but you can't stand on the promises of God if you don't know the promises of God. We need, to, we need to dig into this book and get hungry for this book because it's life-changing. Let me give you the last reason that I believe the Bible is a special book, and that is the Bible is a powerful book. It's powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's alive and it's powerful. Now, that's again a pretty big claim that a, that a book can be alive. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's alive, but not in the same sense that a lot of us think when it comes to life. Like, it doesn't have feelings or emotions, it's not breathing. And if I dropped it, it's not going to injure it. It's, it's alive in a sense that it is dynamic. In other words, the, the words on the pages are, are, are there, right? The, God's word is truth. And it's absolute and it's, and it's intact the way God wanted to give us. But it's alive in a sense that when I'm reading it, God has this amazing ability to take the same words that maybe I've read a thousand times 
But when I'm going through a specific situation where I need a word from God, where I need some direction in my life, that God can take that same scripture that maybe I forgot that I even read a thousand times, and all of a sudden when I read it, it's like, wow, there's my answer. You ever had that experience? Where you just read it, it's like the light bulb goes off, and it's like, that's what I'm looking for. That's because it's a, a, a book that's alive. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's doing what it needs to do. I've got a ton of books on my bookshelf. Hundred, probably thousands of books on my bookshelf. And some of them I've read multiple times because I use them as a reference. But let me tell you about those books. Every time I read those books, they say the exact same thing every single time. Like every single time, there's nothing new. That's the way it is. But when I read the Bible, when I'm going through a situation, when I need a word from God, God always delivers, taking the same words and custom designing it for what I'm going through at that moment. That's, that, there's no other book can do that. And when you learn to love the book and when you learn to, to dig into this word and you, and you, and you long for it, it will change your life. Some years, many years ago now, our oldest son was in a really bad car accident. Car flipped over and he flew out and hit his head into a tree. And he had, um, they got him to Oconee Hospital. They thought he was going to die. A lot of swelling on the brain, bleeding on the brain, all those broken, all kinds of this broke, broken stuff. They couldn't do anything for him. We, we got to Oconee Hospital. It was, it was not good. So they got him over to Greenville where they had more means to take care of that. So we drove to Greenville and we waited. You know, that's, you ever wait in a waiting room, you know, that's a long time. Especially in that situation, you're just kind of on pins and needles wanting answers. And um, eventually a doctor came out and he talked to my wife and I and said, um, it's not good, it doesn't look good. And we just need, I need to tell you that it's maybe a 50-50 chance he's going to make it. And if he does, we can't make you any promises. There's a good possibility he'll never function again. So he said, so um, right now, there's really nothing we can do. We've got to see if the swelling in his brain goes down, and then we'll make a determination. And I don't, if you're a parent, there's, I don't know if there's anything that can even compare to that shock. So he said, it's, you know, there's no point staying because we won't know anything for a while. So I said, I, my wife said, I'm going to stay at the hospital. And I said, I want to leave. And I thought I drove home. Pastor Brian reminded me he drove me home. Pastor Brian was there. A lot of other people were there. So he drove me home that night, dropped me off. Our other, our other kids were being watched by somebody. And I went into our house. It was dark. Turned on the light. And I'm like, I need a word from God. I just, I, God, I got to hear from you. So I got my Bible and I sat down and I prayed and I talked to God and I read my Bible. You know, there's a point, I think there's always a point of, of our lives where we're put in a situation where we either have to come to the grips with this faith that we, that we have is either real or it's not. 
Like either I believe this stuff or I don't. And these are the moments in your life where you're going to find out what you believe. So I sat down and I'm reading scripture and I finally I just put the Bible down. And I said to God, I said, God, I want to make you a deal. I said, here's the deal. If you will heal him, I promise you I'll follow you for the rest of my life. But if you don't, I promise you I'll follow you for the rest of my life. I said, because I know there's no, there was no verse in there that said God's, now there's lots of healings in the Bible, but there was no verse that said, you know, I could quote and say, God said he's going to heal my son. I knew that. I didn't want to take anything out of context, right? You can twist anything. There wasn't that verse. But you know what a verse, what verses that, that, that I knew? I knew that God promised me that all things would work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I knew that. I knew God promised me that he would comfort me no matter what. That I knew God promised me that he would give me the peace that passes human understanding. I knew God promised me that he would never leave me nor forsake me. So I knew at that point that what the real issue was whether or not I was going to trust him and his word or not. Fortunately, God did a miracle in our son's life, and he is fine. But that wasn't contingent, as far as I'm concerned, on what I was going to do with God. It is a powerful book. It will change your life when you start to rely on this word. Because it is God's word. Think about that. God's word. Like, if I want to hear from God, if I want to know the will of God, I need to get in the word of God. This is the voice of God. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you, if you, want, if you want to have your life transformed it's by renewing of your mind and this is how you do it you get in the word of God but the first step for us all of us no matter where you are on that journey of the Bible the first step to really understanding and appreciating the Bible is you first have to fall in love with the author with God himself because when you fall in love with the author of the book, you will fall in love with his word and you will depend on his word and you will lean into his word. You gotta know the author. I, I'm a, I love the old movies, the old classic black and white 1940s movies, I love them. And there was a movie that my wife and I were watching that I've seen a couple of times and I don't know the name of it. I don't even know who started. I think it was Cary Grant, but I'm not sure. And part of the story was that they're on a, he's on a train and he's sitting on one seat over here in his train and there's this woman sitting across the aisle on, on the train and he's reading a book. And he doesn't realize she's the author of the book. So he, she sees that he's reading her book and, he, and she's trying to get a read what he thinks about the book. But as he's reading, you can see by his facial expressions, he's not enjoying this book at all. So finally, she asks the question, what do you think about the book? And then he goes off on it, 
oh, it's poorly written. Doesn't make sense. The plot is, is bad. And he's on and on. And then finally she reveals I'm the author of the book. And he's totally embarrassed. And through the movie, he falls in love with, the, with this woman, the author. And it literally changes his perspective on what she writes. And I'm telling you, when you learn, when you love God, when you learn to really give your heart to God, the author of the book, you'll fall in love with his word. And it will change your life. And as I said earlier, my prayer through this series is that all of us, no matter where you are in that spectrum, in your journey with the Bible, that we would be so hungry for a fresh word of God. I know a lot of us, you know, we read the Bible every day. Some of us are going through a read through the Bible in a year program. I mean, I haven't missed a day this year. But sometimes it's such an easy tendency to go, let me just, that's my to-do box. I got to check off the box and say, I got it done. But I'm really not, I'm nearly not connecting with the author. And so my prayer is that we would have that it's the way I looked at the Bible 38 years ago when I first got my hand out, that's what I want, and that's what I want for you. Like, God, I, I want more of it. I can't get enough of your word. And so in the next four weeks, it's my prayer. But I want to wrap this up today by just inviting you, if you don't know the author, if you've never placed your faith in the author of the book, Jesus, that today would be the day of your salvation. Last week, Pastor Kevin gave an invitation. We had many people saved. Thank God. And today, I believe God's gonna do the same. So why don't you just, let's just bow our heads and let's pray together as we close. God, thank you for your word, your inspired, infallible, inerrant, perfect word that's truth cover to cover that we don't have to make excuses for, that we don't have to compromise that we're not going to water down just knowing that this is your truth, this is your word to us, the inspired, God-breathed word to us. And one of those things we know of that your word tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's God's promise. That he loves you that much. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today would be the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. The Bible says that there is no other name under heaven which men must be saved, the name of Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he, you will be saved. That's God's word. Take him up on that offer. Place your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus today. If you'd like to do that, maybe offer a prayer like this. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins because your word says that. I believe that you rose three days later because your word says that. I believe you're coming back again because your word says that. And I'm placing my faith in you. And I'm asking you to save me because you said if I called out on your name that you would save me and I'm doing that I believe I believe that God and I want you to be my Lord and Savior God thank you for every person in this room no matter if they've been re read the Bible a million times or never read it before I pray that this series is going to spark an interest like never before may your word be fresh in our lives in the name of Jesus we pray
Amen.